right, good morning, guys. I absolutely love Jesse and Lacey's passion about small group ministry and really making disciples within small group ministry. Like I said, we, we are all about making disciples here at Parkway Church and really building relationships that build disciples. That's, that's the heartbeat of Parkway Church at every location here in Victoria and Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, every ministry and every campus. That's the passion. Now, as a piggyback off of that, we are really all called to make disciples. Like that is not something that is bonus. Like We all grew up with that one kid who did all the extra credit. They are the advanced placement, the gifted and talented. And then there was us, right? Like Anybody else? Like that was, hey, I was not the gifted and talented one. Just letting you know that right now. Um, I was not gifted and talented. It's a really depressing title. But making disciples is not something for the overachieving Christian. Okay? Making disciples is a universal calling on each and every one of us who is a believer in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that this morning. Parkway Church, Parkway, Victoria, Lone Tree, Port Lavaca, that is a calling on all of us. Now, what I want us to uniquely see, though, is why we all have a universal calling to make disciples. We have a unique opportunity to do that in the generations that are younger than us. We all have a calling to make disciples, but there is a unique opportunity to speak into the life of those who are younger than us, both in years and younger than us in their faith. Because we have gone down the road that they're heading down. We have made the mistakes that they're very likely going to make. We have learned lessons that we can then pass on down to them. That is both a calling, an opportunity, and a mission field. Now, our culture, okay, would say, look, that the younger generation is just kind of stay away from them, right? Our culture kind of tells us that generations kind of stay apart. We all run in our same age brackets. Um, our, our, all of our gatherings are based on like age specific, but biblically, we are called for older believers in Jesus Christ to mentor and really to disciple those who are older. And this is a passion of mine. When Mike said he was going to be out this weekend, he said, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about this. Because this is a passion of mine, because through my life, I have had mature believers in Jesus Christ, those older than me, pour into my life. Early on, my parents did this year after year, day after day, pointing me towards Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't listen every time, okay? And right now, I think my parents are probably listening to this in Oklahoma and be like, yes, amen, I'm glad he admitted it. 29 on stage, like, I didn't always hear that, but I always listened to it, and I always appreciated it, and so oftentimes they did direct me towards the gospel. When I left home, went out to Tarleton State, I had seniors at Tarleton who sat down and said, this is how you read scripture. Guys that were older than me that intentionally said, I'm going to teach you how to read scripture. I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to share your testimony. Exact same thing that I've taught the students here today. I had a mentor of mine while I was at college, the, the first really student ministry internship under a guy named Chance Yankee, that students and parents, you have never met him. But the way he taught me how to be a student pastor that lives to glorify God has impacted student impact for years now. The idea, though, is he has impacted this church. Those people have impacted this church and my life especially because they understood the call of generational discipleship, building relationships that build disciples with those who are younger than them. And so that's the call I want us to see. I think everybody in here has that story. If you are an older, mature believer in Jesus Christ, 
I think you have that same story. Maybe it was some teachers, maybe it was a student pastor, maybe it was parents, or maybe it was just a friend of yours that they said, I'm going to teach you. I will teach you from some of the lessons I learned the hard way so that you don't have to. I think we could go around this room in every location, Port Lavaca and Lone Tree, and we could talk about that for weeks on end, person by person, of the people that have poured into our lives. And you see that biblically. You see it worked out in Scripture in three men, Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy. Now, Barnabas was influential in the early church, and he began to mentor, really disciple, a man named Paul. I want you to see this, though. Paul, we think of Paul as the great missionary of the New Testament, writer of Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians. But before he was Paul, he was who? Saul of Tarsus, right? Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the church. Saul of Tarsus in the first century church would find out believers, find churches, drag them out of their homes, have them turned into authorities, and in times killed. And God got a hold of his life, showed him the gospel, and transformed him. But Barnabas had this unique opportunity to step into his life and show him what it looks like to be a missionary, show him what it looks like to be a man of God and a disciple. Now, Paul would go on to do what? Plant so many of the churches all around the Mediterranean and impact Scripture, like two-thirds of the New Testament, Scripture, and go on to teach men such as Timothy and Titus, which we will learn from today. There's this chain of discipleship throughout Scripture. I don't want to be the heartbeat of us. I want that to be our heartbeat because the reality is, man, we are shaping the next generation, Okay. When you look at the generation below you, you go, mm, 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 right? Like there's some things you look at and you go, why do you do that? Why do you dress this way? Why do you act that way? I never did this. Many times you ever remember yourself, well, back in my day, you know, you're 27, you're like, well, back in my day, you know, right? We didn't have dish. No, I'm just kidding, right? Like we, a lot of times it's very tempting just to have this pessimistic view of the next generation rather than viewing them as a mission field rather than viewing yourself as a Paul and them as a Timothy. You have to change the way you view the next generation. So I want to ask us a very concrete question. I want this very concrete. You have to answer to yourself, and you have to be honest. And it's not one of those like Sunday school questions where they go, what's the right answer to this? And you go, Jesus. It can't be just Jesus. It has to be Jesus to say all cute like, you know, like a fifth grader says it, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I know it's a real honest answer, okay? Answer this. Who is the Paul in your life? Who is the Timothy in your life? They have to have a name, okay? This isn't some hypothetical question. Who is literally the person in your life who's more mature than you in your faith, in your life, likely older than you, and is pouring into your life, teaching you what it looks like to have a marriage that honors God, to live a life that honors God, to be a a businessman or woman that lives a life that honors God, be a high school student that lives a life that honors God, Who is that person who's guiding you today? Yes, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit guides us, but I think God has put men and women in our path. We will simply seek them out and listen to them. But it doesn't stop there. Who is the Timothy? Who is the person that you say, you know what, I am raising you up. You can learn from my mistakes. You can learn from the things that I learned the hard way. Let me teach you. And this is a biblical model that we see. This isn't just my Humble opinion. This is is God's word in Titus chapter 2. You can turn there. We'll be there for just a little bit today. And if not, one page over in 2 Timothy. But 
Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. It gives a biblical model of exactly what we are talking about here today. It says this, Titus 2, verse 3 through 6. It says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Push pause real quick. So I feel like I was looking down and I said older women. And while I was looking down and said older women, many of the women in this room went, who are you referring to, right? Okay, like there's this collective like, right? Ask who is older women or older men, okay? I'm not going to put an age on that because I like my tires the way they are. Um, All right, this many people in the room, maybe somebody drives over from Lone Tree. I'm I'm not going to put an age on that. However, I'll go with this rule. Okay, Um, if you are asking that question right now, it's likely referring to you. Okay, let's just get that out of the way. So if you went, who do you mean older? Well, you brought it up. You probably qualify, all right? So if you're asking, it's, it's likely you, all right? So with that in mind, we'll all move past this. Ashley, go move my truck. Anyway, all right, let's look at this. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So live a life that honors God and to teach, but teach who? Then they can urge the younger women. It's not just live a life that honors God, not just follow Jesus all your life for your own sake, but you do so for those who are younger. Then they can urge the younger, um, the younger women to do what is good. Verse 4. Oh, sorry. They can urge the younger women to live, love their husbands and children. Verse 5. To be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, that no one will malign the word of God. And then it talks about men, verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And so it's a universal call. Men, women, every age. And this isn't just for those in this room who are over 40. I want you to hear this. Students, high school students, junior high students, is there somebody younger than you? Then this is referring to you. This is a universal call for everybody. You are a mature believer in Jesus Christ and you have been following Jesus for a while. Ask yourself this, what is it that you need to pass along to the next generation? What lessons in your marriage do you need to pass along to a young married couple who have to go down the exact same roads, the same parenting lessons you can pass along to them? How does it look like to parent in a way that honors God? You don't have to have everything together. You don't have to be perfect but what do you have to pass along? We all have something. You college, high school graduates, how can you disciple those in junior high and high school today? It's not easy to live a life that honors God. It's not always easy to follow Jesus Christ in those years. But how can you reach out to them and say, look, this is how you do this. This is how you deal with those temptations. Here's where I went wrong. This is where you can do it right. What do you have to pass along? We all have something to pass along. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have something to pass along, both from your mistakes and the things you got right. And young believers in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this. Our role, your role, is to actually listen, to, to be leaning in, not to have this, they don't know what they're talking about, I have this mentality that's not from God, it's from culture, really from our own rebellion, but to lean in and say, what can I learn from this mature believer in Jesus Christ? What can I learn from them? How can I lean into what they have for me? Because it's a two-way street. And so if you were answering those questions earlier, who is your Paul? 
And who is your Timothy? And you answer that very, very literally. Like, what's the name of that individual or individuals? And you came up with blanks either way. I want to ask yourself this. What are you doing to seek them out? Because it's not like we're sitting here going, God, just drop this person into my world. Like, Paul didn't just have Timothy and Titus dropped into his lap. No, he was seeking them out. How can we seek them out today? That's the call that we have. Now, that's the what we need to do. The question is, though, how do we actually go about doing this? And so this morning is an absolute privilege at every location. Uh, We are going to have local leadership up on stage talking about how we actually go about doing this, okay? So in Port Lavaca, uh, you guys will have Sam Flores, the, the campus pastor down there, talking about how what his passion is and how he believes that you guys can do this in Port Lavaca, how you can reach the next generation down in Port Lavaca. At Lone Tree, we will have Jonathan Vargas, our uh, college intern, who is passionate about the next generation, especially of college students, and his perspective on how we can go about reaching the next generation here in Parkway, Victoria. Well, partially I'm up here a little bit, which is exciting because I still count as like a young pastor because this is called like Young Pastor Sunday, and Mike said, you get to stay up there. I was like, yes. Still got enough on top to count. All right. It's thinning, but it's dark enough. All right. So that's the good news. But I'm also going to have Hunter Duke come up here. And so, Hunter, you go ahead and come on up here. Hunter is um, involved in our student ministry, and he has been for years. He has been working with ninth, 10th, and now juniors in high school. Hey, Hunter. Glad you How's can be going? up here with us. Give it a hand for Hunter Duke. Appreciate it, man. One second. I got to move this. You got to get that. I got to move right. this. Dave, uh, Dave left to stand there. Gotcha, <laughs> so Hunter has been working with students for, for quite some time now. I've been passionate about it. And um, I always want to share not just what is my conviction, but what's conviction of others on this. So glad you could be up here um, with us up here on stage. Now, as I was saying, we have the, the what we are called to do. But the question is, how are we actually called to do this? This is an exhaustive list because we could be up here for hours. Oh, yeah. And we're not going to do that because we do that. Mike will never let us be up here ever again. Um, so we're not going to do that. But the question is, how do we actually go about um, making disciples? Like the kind of the nuts and bolts functionality of how we do that from your time spending with your guys in small groups, um, pouring into those who are younger than you. What's Because I have a couple of them, but what's one of the things you have felt like has helped you the most in actually doing that, man? Okay, uh, well, a couple of things. Um, first off, it's, it's never asking them to do something that I have not done myself mm. or trying to lead them somewhere that I'm not willing to go myself. And by that, I mean, you know, I can tell them, hey, don't do this, but as soon as I leave there, I'm doing it. Hey, don't, don't go party or, or do this, but as soon as I leave Sunday, that night I'm going to go party. You're saying that never works. Exactly, exactly. that never works. You've got to put the action behind your words. Mm. You've got to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And the best example we have of that is Jesus. You know, he never did anything in his life that he did not say and do. Mm. He said it and did it. As he said, come and follow me, not come and listen to me. Like right. he wanted them to listen, but it was, he said, come and follow me. Right. He said, just follow my example. I think so oftentimes, I think we've, every single person listening to this right now has at one point in time been told, do as I say, not as I do. I show of hands. Anybody remember hearing that, like, growing up? It's the greatest, and, like, greatest not you're, saying ever. Uh, yeah, you're 16, <laughs> you're getting, like, rolling your eyes, like, whatever, right? But in all seriousness, like, that model never works. It's 
what works is do as I say what I'm actually living out. And then as you're saying, I love that the words actually have power then. They're not empty words. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and we see that in Titus 2, 7 through 8. It says, And everything, set them, set them as an example by doing what is good. And your teachings show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Yeah, I love that. And everything that you everything do. Everything you do. Because you can't just go in there and say, Hey, follow me in everything I do except this. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't work. Follow me on Wednesday and Sundays. Everything else. Don't leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. Don't that, that is such a broken model, but oftentimes that's what we try and do, yeah. and that doesn't work. Um, I want you to hear that, man. That, that absolutely doesn't work. Now, let me ask you this, and that, by the way, we, we live out what we were teaching, and so as we're saying, hey, don't do this. Actually set an example as we're trying to do every, every week. Let me ask you this. So I think a lot of, of people listening to this, hearing this right now, they feel the tension of there's parts of my life that I'm not proud of. There, there is parts of my life that I say, man, they're not where I want it to be. A lot of times people would feel almost unqualified in a way to, to go and do this because they say, you know what, I am not in my, I'm not in a place in my walk with Christ where I want to be. What would, what would be your advice to them? Because um, remember, when we were talking years and years ago about student ministry, you were, that was one of the things you brought up to me. What would be your words of encouragement to them? Well, First off, I, just me personally, I just remember telling myself a lie that because I was coming from where I was coming from and the way that I lived before, God could not use me. Mm. And that's a lie that I was telling myself. Right. And instead of seeing my insecurity, I was taking my insecurities and, and my past failures and putting them on God and pushing those towards him when he works through those. Yeah. He takes those despite of your failures, despite of your shortcomings, and he uses you in amazing ways. And to the people that feel like they're not perfect and feel like they're not there yet, find a small group. Yeah. Find your, 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 your Timothy, your Paul. Find those guys you can go around, those women you can go around and just bleed your heart out to. Yeah. And say, this is what I'm struggling with. Help me. Help me. Because they could have just gone through it last week. Yeah. They could have just gone through it a couple of years ago, and they have the tools that they can hand you and say, hey, read this verse. Hey, call me the next time you start feeling that way. Because that's our firm conviction is that we're not saying, hey, go to small groups, they'll make you perfect. No, you go to small groups, and they help you grow in your faith in Christ. Yeah. That's our firm conviction. We build relationships to build disciples, and so discipleship happens in small group community. This is great. I'm glad you guys are all here like Labor Day weekend. You get extra credit for that, I think, right? <laughs> but um, this, we do not make a disciple on Sunday morning only. I want you to hear that. That's not my conviction. That's straight from, from Mike's words and the conviction of our entire leadership team. You don't just make a disciple on Sunday morning. It, it takes small group community to help build relationships that build disciples. And so when you say, man, I, my, my faith isn't where I want it to be to lead others that's not the ending point of that conversation. That's the beginning of your next step to grow in your faith, and you grow in your faith best through small group. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, small groups kick off this Wednesday. So if you say, man, my next step is to connect a small group, man, we'll see you here Wednesday. I don't care what age you are, what life mm -hmm. stage, we'll find you one. I think another thing that really sticks out to me that, that helped me is uh, men and women in my, my life who really reached out to me, how they did that is they taught both Truth and skills, okay? It was truth and skills. 
So the, I had men and women that really taught me how to actually read Scripture. They taught me the truth of Scripture, but they also taught me how to read it. Yeah, so they gave you the tool and showed you how to use the tool. Exactly. It's almost this mentality of, are you going to, to give the next generation the fish, or are you going to teach them how to fish? Are you going to not just say, hey, here's the right answer to this question that you have, but here's how you actually deal with this situation. It's teaching them both truth and skills. And I think you see that in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. I love this image of multi-generational discipleship right here. It says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, in the things you have heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses. The things I have taught you, Timothy, the things I have encouraged you to do, go and do this. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I love, love that image. The image is this, like, look, it's not just that your past mistakes, that your things you have learned in your faith are not just for you. They're there so you can pass them on to the next generation, like Paul did with the Timothy, and then it doesn't stop there. It keeps on going to the next and to, to the next and to the next. And it's a little bit of a dark thought, but it's actually a great, great thought is, what would it look like for your faith to outlive you? What would it look like for your discipleship walk, just as it talked about here, for you to pass along to the next generation, to build a disciple that will then go out and make another disciple, and then make another disciple? Like your words, your influence, your faith is impacting those years from now, generations from now, because you dedicated your life to actual generational discipleship, to building relationships, to actually build disciples. That's that is the, the grand vision of it all. And to do that, you have to teach truth and skills. Not just truth, truth and skills. And I firmly believe a lot of times people put this all on themselves. Like they go out there thinking they need to be like the army of one, okay? Um, Swiss army knife? A Swiss army <laughs> knife of Christianity. Like I, it is all on me. I got to go make disciples. Um, Lone Ranger type mentality, but it's not that. I love you had a unique perspective on it earlier this week when we were talking. It's not all on one person. I love the way you phrase it. What was your take on that? Yeah, so everybody in here at one point in your life has heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Amen. And that's true. <laughs> but I would also argue that it takes a village, it takes a town, it takes a church family to grow you spiritually. I love that. To push you. It takes a small group to grow you and to prune you and to cut the cut the areas off and help you grow in those areas that you're weakest. It takes a village. It's so, and so in that case, it's not so much of who is the Paul of my life, singular, who are the Pauls, right. the, the right. multiple. Because really, you know, looking back in my life, it's been different people in different stages. Mm -hmm. But it's oftentimes multiple people all at the same time because they all have a unique perspective in one area. The person who is, who is mentoring you on who is discipling you in your marriage may not necessarily be the same person who shows you what it looks like to live a life that honors God in your workplace. You know, like it, it might be different people at, at different times, and oftentimes it really should be, because that shows it's the the joint responsibility of the entire church and not just one person. I, I love I love that image. I'm gonna steal that. Can I steal that? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. It's mine now. <laughs> what else are your thoughts on that? Well, also I think it's important to show how you live. Mm. You know. When you're up leading, wherever you're leading, it doesn't stop when you go home. It, it's 24-7. You're right. breathing it. You're living that relationship out with Christ. 
and also, um, you know, show your victories and show your defeats. Right. Show your shortcomings. Show your scars. Because God uses those scars, God uses those shortcomings to really go after the people that have the same scars that you do. Right. That have gone through the same thing or are going through the same thing. God uses those shortcomings despite of those shortcomings and steps in in a big way and uses that as a funnel and just kind of funnels it to anyone else that needs right. that. I think what that looks like is you have to invite people into your life. Yeah. All of it. All of it. All of it. And you say, man, that does not feel very comfortable. Yeah. It, it's really not. It's not comfortable, but it's worth it. Yeah. You but, can't have that, that Instagram faith, that perfect faith that you put out for everyone to see with the filters and everything on it. You can't have that. Right. It's got to be everything. From the moment you get up with no makeup on, your hair is a mess, <laughs> you got eye boogers coming everywhere. You, know, you get everything. You got to show every part of your faith, bad and the ugly. Right. Because the reality is, is people can learn just as much from the parts where you stumbled at as much as they can from the parts that you are actually getting right. Yeah, absolutely. And it requires a level of vulnerability that will not just naturally happen. We have to choose that. I think that it's even more difficult, though, when you are older than this person. Because those who are older, it is tempting um, to uh, kind of put on this facade, to put on this, I have everything together for those who are younger. Especially, I think parents especially, is one of the things like, hey, I have it all together. No, you have to say, look, this is a place where I messed up in this. Do not do this. Learn from my mistakes. Remember my parents doing that for me when I was was in high school and junior high, and it it made such an impression on me that they're willing to, to open up like that. And it's difficult, but it is always, always worth it. And so my, my prayer for each and every one of us in here, and in this church collectively, is that we have a passion for this next generation. It's not just a tolerance of the next generation. and It's, it's, it's really a passion for every next generation. Because the next generation is different if you are in your 60s and 70s versus you are in your 20s and 30s, and it might be, you may be actually impacting someone who has multiple generations younger than you, right? That's my passion for us. We may not just simply tolerate the next generation. We may view the next generation as a mission field, as an opportunity that, that cannot be passed up on if we're going to truly live a life that honors God and build relationships and build disciples. So think about this. Have you ever read the book of Acts? It gets to the end of it, and it reminds me almost of a movie you watch that doesn't have an ending. Like, the credits just start rolling, right? You get to the end, and you go, all right, we're done here, right? You ever watch those movies before? The book of Acts ends in many ways that way. It ends with Paul in prison in Rome. It really doesn't put a bow on it, but there's a message in that. From the time of the early church, it didn't have an ending on it because it's continued on. The ministry of Paul to Timothy, it continues on to us today. Like there is a chain of discipleship that has stretched back thousands of years of those who have poured in the next generation. And it cannot be us who says, you know what? I'm not picking up the mantle and pouring in the next generation. It is our mission and our calling to continue that on, to even do it better. So I want to pray for us. That may be our, our heartbeat today. And also for many of us today, you go, you know what? I want to impact the next generation. I want to really even disciple my kids. But I, I don't know how because I've never began that relationship with Jesus Christ today. For some of us today, our next step, your next step, is the first step to place your faith in Jesus Christ. 
Because this isn't some self-help. This isn't just some try harder. No, this is place your faith in Jesus Christ. Have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Grow in him. And then take others along for you for the ride. I want to pray that may be the heartbeat and passion for Parkway Church. Bow your heads and kneel, guys. Dear Lord, God, I thank you so, so much, Lord, that you have put a calling on each and every one of us, on this church, on us as individuals, to make disciples that make disciples, to build relationships that build disciples in the next generation, Lord, so that our faith, so that our influence may outlast us, Lord. God, that is such a better calling. That is such a better mission and vision than simply living for ourselves. That's a better mission and vision than just collect as much stuff as we can, keep to ourselves, not worry about others. God, you put such a better mission and vision and purpose on our lives than simply wondering and working on bettering our own lives. God, no, how can we better those around us? How can we influence the next generation, God? I thank you for that purpose. God, that is a heavy burden, but that is a blessing because it is a mission and purpose that is worth it, God. And I pray for each and every person in this room, they may take their next step, that we all may take our next step. And for some of us, God, listening to this at every location and, and here, Lord, they may see that their next step is to actually place their faith in Jesus Christ today not working on their life, not this self-help, not all get things together, then I'll believe in Jesus. No, God, we believe in you. You forgive us of our sins because you sent your one and only son to die for us. And then you transform us. By the Holy Spirit, you transform our lives to actually honor you, Lord. God, I pray that today may be the day that someone believes in you. Believe that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, Lord, and they can mark that belief in you with a simple prayer. No magic words, but marks a belief in you. Praying, dear Lord, I am a sinner, Lord. But today I believe in Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, who came here to die for me, Lord, so that may I, I may have a new life in Christ now for eternity, Lord. God, I thank you for anyone who place their faith in you today. I pray that they may be bold and not keep that to themselves, Lord. They just began a brand new journey with you, Lord. May they not keep that to themselves. May they share that with those around them. May they then seek out a Paul to guide them in their life, Lord. God, give us a passion to bring glory to you, Lord, in making disciples that make disciples, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.